0: good morning church well it is a joy to be back in pennsylvania with you all um i'm not i'm not really or i'm not originally from pennsylvania but coming back really does feel like home in this church is a big reason why it feels that way so i'm so grateful for you all and grateful for the way that you guys cared for happy and i so we were just away at the pastors sovereign grace pastors college I got my shirt on today to be a little official and um that's a ten, 10 month training program you guys sent us thank you for doing so um, and you cared for us so well throughout our time there we received encouraging notes and emails we know that you all were were praying for us some folks came out to visit us would send surprise gifts our way just to show us that you remembered we were there and uh, you were supporting us and you cared for us so thank you so much and um, and we were cared for so well there as well so our, our the church there in Louisville, Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville, is just a fantastic church. They showed us such hospitality and warmth, even though they were hampered in a lot of ways because of the craziness that this past year has been, they did so. And the staff at the Pastors College, it was just a great year. We grew relationally with, with many people. The, the classes were fantastic. Four of the pastors from here came out to teach. So um, you guys have gotten to receive a lot of the instruction that, that we did there Um, It was just a wonderful year. God met all three of us, my wife Happy, Anna, and I. Um, But one of the things that I came away with the most, I think, from the Pastors College, was just a greater vision and excitement for gospel partnership. So I'm excited that we get to partner together in this church in the mission that the Lord's called us to, I'm excited that as we plant this church next fall, we're going to continue to partner together as churches with one another. And we really are so blessed to be part of such a wonderful family of churches in Sovereign Grace. And I just grew to know so many of the churches throughout Sovereign Grace over this past year. And it's it's just something special that the Lord has given us to be a part of. Churches that care for others are excited to do mission together and and eager to see um, the churches thrive and the mission promoted through one another. So thank you guys for the the care you've shown us over the years. Again, thank you for supporting us and sending us to the Pastors College. Thanks for sending Phil and Shannon Vanderweide. We're so excited for them to go next year. Happy and I were really excited when we heard that news. So um, I'm grateful that The Lord has given us a mission to do, but he's not called us to do it alone, and I'm so grateful for that. And it's exactly that mission that I'm really eager for us to talk about together this morning. So if you would, turn with me now to the book of Acts, chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 22, and to give you a little bit of a background, the book of Acts was written by Luke the physician, he wrote the gospel Of Luke as well. He was a close companion of Paul's, and he wrote this letter to encourage and strengthen the saints as they sought to walk out the gospel mission. And this particular passage, chapter 4, follows chapter 3, where Peter and John had entered the temple. And they healed a man lame from birth. And then Peter proceeded to preach and proclaim the good news of salvation, hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our passage here picks up following that event. We have this healing, Peter preaching, and now we get to see what follows that moment. So let's pray together first and then we will dive into the passage. Father, we come before you this morning, I'm grateful for the worship set this morning that just able to acknowledge our need of you. I need you, Lord, this morning. Pray that you would guard and protect my words. Lord, your word is good. And we pray that you would make your word known to us this morning. Open our hearts, open our minds. We need your spirit to help us understand the things that you have for us. So we pray that you would do that this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, Acts 4, 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power... Or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men But Peter and John answered them, "'Whether it is right in the sight of God "'to listen to you rather than God, "'you must judge. "'For we cannot but speak "'of what we have seen and heard.'" And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Acts is such an exciting book. If, if you've not spent time in it, I encourage you to do so. It, in it, we see the gospel, God beginning to spread the gospel through the mission of the church. In fact, you could kind of see the book of Acts as a type of mission log. As I was thinking about this, I kept thinking about those like exploding letters in spy movies, you know, that someone receives. I, side note. Think in another life, I'd have loved to been a spy. I, uh, I like secret missions. I think self-destructing letters are pretty cool. I, uh, I don't know how that works. How does a piece of paper blow up? But I like to believe it happens. And, um, but there's something so exciting about this. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is, well, the Book of Acts. Serves as something of our exploding mission correspondence. In chapter one, we see Christ lay out the mission before them. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have been commissioned. We haven't been called to Christ simply to better ourselves or or to feel good, but we've been commissioned to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unbelieving world and to promote gospel growth in the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I love how Paul puts it in the book of Colossians. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is Peter's mission here in Acts. This is why he's talking about the things he's talking about, and this is our mission together as a church. This is why we have men's and women's meetings. This is why we have Promise kingdom and and youth camp. This is why we do the bridge course and second Sundays. This is why we send missions trips and why we plant churches. But we all know missions are often hard and they're fraught with struggles. And our passage this morning makes that clear. While we dream of, opening our mouths and proclaiming the gospel and just everyone responding with immediate joy and faith we know from personal experience and from the word that that's not always the case and that can cause us to fear but we shouldn't be frightened And we shouldn't shrink back because not only has this mission been given, but the mission will be accomplished. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. All throughout the book, we're given status reports by Luke. It's these little check-in points. And he keeps saying, and the word of God grew and it spread. And the word of God grew and it spread He wrote it to encourage these believers in hard and trying times, knowing that the gospel was advancing. And he did this by reminding them of this truth, that nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel. Nothing. Nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel. And it's this truth that our passage highlights for us this morning. So we're going to look at three aspects of the gospel together this morning. That I pray will bolster our faith as we seek to minister in a fallen world as well. So we'll see that the gospel—it's unstoppable, it's authoritative, and it's effective. So first, the gospel is unstoppable. So starting in verse one, we wonder: Okay, Peter and John just healed this lame man, preached. Now, what's going to happen? Well we see that the, uh, the rulers of the temple, they weren't too happy about it. <laughs> and so we are told that the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, they came upon them. This is, this is coming upon in force. These are, these are powerful men. So, so let's get a little mission debrief. Who are these guys that we're talking about? Well, the captain of the temple, he was a priest, second only to the high priest. He had charge of the temple guard, and he had the authority to arrest. The Sadducees, they were a wealthy Jewish group made up of mostly lay nobility. It was from the Sadducees that the high priest came, so there's a lot of connection there. They oversaw and ran the temple. They were less concerned about piety and the law and more concerned with power and status. So this led the Sadducees to be very compliant with Rome and seeking to maintain and hold their power. They were materialistic in their worldview, and they denied the spiritual world and the resurrection from the dead. So it's no surprise then that their feathers should get ruffled When Peter and John enter the temple and begin not only teaching God's covenant people without permission from them, but they're specifically teaching about Jesus Christ as a means for salvation and resurrection from the dead, which which they disagreed with. Right off the bat. This is the first real story we get in the Gospel of Acts. This is the beginning of the mission of the church. Right off the bat, the Christian witnesses met with opposition in the temple, in God's house. It's not necessarily the mission update we might be looking for. And this is a pattern all throughout the book of Acts, over and over and over again as the gospel advances, it's met with increasing hostility. This is very light compared to what happens later in Acts. Luke's wanting to make clear that the gospel advance, it will involve great resistance. Jesus himself foretold this, saying, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We have to be reminded of this today. However, while Luke is intending to acknowledge the reality of persecution... His greater aim is to show, as we said, that nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. His aim was to comfort these believers, not to frighten them. Verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Here you have this, this powerful group of men. Greatly bothered by the teachings of the disciples, they're seeking to wield their power, but try as they might. Nothing could stop this message from going forward. In fact, their efforts to stop it only gave it further opportunity to grow. They were up against something so much bigger than what they knew. Luke consistently throughout Acts highlights the power of the word The power of the message of Jesus Christ. 5,000 people did not believe because of Peter. 5,000 people did not believe because of eloquence or healing. 5,000 people won't believe because we have the right worship team or the right building. 5,000 people believe because the Word of God was proclaimed. The Word of God is indeed the decisive factor in the mission. It's the thing that grows and spreads and moves, it's not us. Imagine it as a force that's been released. The word of God is living and active. This word, the word of truth, the gospel, as Paul describes in Colossians, isn't just a message. These aren't just words on a page. This isn't just an idea that somebody had in their heads. This is truth with a capital T. And the truth can't be stopped, it can't be contained, and these guys weren't going to keep it down. What began as a tiny mustard seed, we see here in the beginning of Acts, begins to grow. And we stand as people who've received this very message. In fact, we've only seen the truth... Of this passage, the unstoppable nature of the gospel, we've only seen it validated over the past 2,000 years. Despite two millennia of opposition, there's currently 2.4 billion people on this earth who identify themselves as followers of Christ. Now whether or not those are all sincere, only the Lord knows, but that is a huge number and that doesn't even account for the past 2000 years of believers and all of it came from here a small band of faithful followers who trusted the lord to speak even when it was hard peter and john couldn't have imagined what the globe would look like 2 centuries later these few temple officials standing in their strength they're nothing They stand not against Peter and John. They stand against God and his word. When people oppose us, when things oppose us, when when situations work against us, it's, it's not opposing us, but God himself. These men stand in futility. Imagine someone trying to stand up against a tidal wave, and it's growing, and it's swelling. You could stand there, and sure, maybe you're going to make it when little mist starts to hit you or a few droplets of water, but as soon as that wave comes down, you don't stand a chance. And this should give us great hope as we seek to be faithful with the gospel message that we have been entrusted with. It gives me hope, strengthens me as I stand here this morning, strengthens me as I think about this church plant next fall. It just takes a massive weight off of our shoulders. Our efforts are not the decisive factor in the growth of the gospel. Yes, the Lord calls us to bear witness to the truth, but we know that ultimately success does not depend upon us. Scripture leaves no room for mystery on if this mission will be accomplished. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If 2,000 years of Christian mistakes haven't put an end to it, nothing will. It's certainty. Christ will succeed. So let us then be people who ride this wave knowing who and what it is that's truly empowering it. And let's seek to see other people brought out from being crushed by it. And if you're here today as someone who still stands in opposition to Christ, I'm glad you're here. He's calling you to come to him. Because his desire is not to crush you. But rather he was crushed on your behalf. That's the power of this message. Sinful people resisting God, deserving destruction, but receiving grace. So here we see the gospel is unstoppable. But there's so much more encouragement for us in this passage, we're only at verse 4. <laughs> so let's move now to the courtroom scene, starting in verse 5, where we see that the gospel is authoritative. So the courts now gathered, the disciples are put on the stand to bear witness to Christ by some of the very same people who tried Christ himself not too long ago. If you could picture this scene, Peter and John would have been in the middle of the room with all of these officials circling around them. It would have been a very intimidating setting. So the officials begin their questioning, by by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, remember, these men were supposed to be serving God, guarding his temple. So at face value, their question seems legitimate. We need to know who it is that's behind these things. However, scratch beneath the surface and we don't find godly sincerity. One of the reasons that these guys were up in arms was out of irritation that anyone would dare threaten their authority. They weren't really seeking to know if God was behind these actions. It was clear to everybody that he was. What they really wanted to know was who were these men? Who do they think they are? Where do they get the right to come preaching in the temple district and teaching things that we declare to be false? The scene calls us to ask the question, who, or we could say, what has ultimate authority? These men who were supposed to be keepers and protectors of God's word and God's temple, standing under God's reign, had instead set themselves up as their source of authority, whether they recognized it or not. In our day, we face the same kinds of pressures. Not only do our sinful hearts regularly try to set up other authorities in our lives, but with ever-increasing frequency, the authority of the gospel is challenged by the world around us. It's not challenged by high priests, but it's challenged by, by science, by, by reason, by common sense, by experience, by universalism, by materialism. The list could go on. Who are you to say is not an uncommon thing we might hear. Well, you may say that God exists, but we all know that science and reason, they show otherwise, Or you may say that your God is the only God, but tolerance does not allow for that. You don't have the authority to say that. What titles come before your name? What credentials do you have to show? Who are you to tell me what's right? These rulers are essentially saying, this message that you're speaking doesn't line up with my understanding of reality, and I don't like it. Well... Peter, we're told in verse 8, is then filled with the Holy Spirit. We got to stop for a minute and note two things with this. First, God is faithful to provide what is needed to complete the mission. In preparing the disciples for the persecution to come, Jesus says in Luke 12, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, sound familiar? Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus makes good on his promises. Peter's now in this situation. He's called on to defend himself, but he doesn't do so alone, but rather he stands in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit of power strengthens us today in our witness. What does that mean? Well, it means we don't have to fear. God will provide what is needed for us to bear witness to himself as he works through us. And the second thing this tells us is that Peter is on the side of God. So we know that what's about to come is from God and it bears the very weight of God. So, so how does Peter respond to this questioning then? By what right does he feel that he's able to speak the way that he does? Well, Peter doesn't appeal to himself He doesn't appeal to his position among the community of the growing believers. He doesn't appeal to his Jewish background or or even to his relationship and his friendship with Jesus Christ. What he appeals to is Jesus Christ himself. Verse 10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth... Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter pulls no punches here, but neither is he attacking. All that Peter's doing is answering their question. By what power, by what authority do I do this? I do this by the only power and by the only authority that exists. This power is Jesus Christ, whom you killed, yet this Jesus did not remain in the grave. The power that the rulers thought they had was shown as counterfeit in the face of the risen Christ. And not only was Christ risen from the dead, but he proceeded to heal and do the very works that he was doing on earth. But now he's doing it through all of his disciples. These are strong but faithful words that Peter speaks. Words that would have been very offensive to these men but words that they needed to hear for the salvation of their souls. We must be faithful to speak the truth likewise, even in the face of fear and possible offense. You may have heard the term seeker-sensitive movements within the church. These are movements that seek to scrub anything potentially offensive, or off-putting from Christianity. Messages that seek to present the truths of the Bible with a big disclaimer that says, I'm really sorry I have to say this, but that's not the Christianity that we see pictured here in Acts. Peter is not sorry for the truth, and he knows that the truth is the most glorious thing that he could be sharing. I'm not saying that we don't be winsome, or or we don't tailor the message to the hearers, or, or we don't speak truth in love. But we seek to make the message understandable, not palatable. If we're not careful, slowly over time, cultural appeasement, earthly wisdom, they become our sources of authority. And in seeking to make the message palatable, we lose the message altogether. Hear this right up from a website for progressive Christianity. We affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness of life. And that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom in our spiritual journey. This is tragic. This is not what Peter is teaching here. Peter declares in verse 12 that salvation is found in no one else and that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus isn't just one way. He is the way. Peter's authority to preach comes from the message itself. It comes from Jesus Christ. We can speak it because it's true and because Christ has called us to proclaim it. When commissioning the disciples, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's no other other gospel. The glorious truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to seek and to save sinners and to die in their place is the authoritative message of history. And not only must we guard this message but we've been granted authority by Christ to proclaim it in the power of the Spirit and watch as God works. This is what Peter does here. And it's so powerful that it astonished the council. They couldn't believe that these two common, uneducated men could speak with such conviction, and it's because they're speaking with the authority of God. That's my prayer this morning. Anything you hear from me this morning, I pray that it is powerful, not because of me, but it's powerful because the authority of God and the goodness of His Word. It's where the power is found. So that leads us to our last section. So we've seen that the gospel's unstoppable, that it's authoritative, and now we look at this final scene to see that it's effective. So the leaders sit. They've heard Peter proclaim the gospel message. They're confronted with the fact that the man they put on trial and helped to kill rose again from the grave. They see that his power over sickness and death is now being multiplied through his followers. They're looking in the face of a man who's been healed miraculously. So surely, surely we think they'll see reason. Surely now they'll accept the truth. But no. They're astonished. They have nothing to say in response. They can't act as if this man's not healed. He's not fake news. But they resist. Rather than repent and believe, they release the apostles but seek to silence their message. So we look at this and we think, well, it doesn't seem to have been too effective in my book. Well, we look at the scene as the trial of Peter and John But in reality, it's the trial of the council. Their hearts are put on display. They think that they're calling Peter and John to account, but in reality, they are being called into account. This is what happens when the gospel message is proclaimed. This is what happens when we read our Bibles, when we sit under the preaching of God's Word. The gospel message demands a response. These men weren't being told about what the apostles had for dinner last night. They were being powerfully presented with the reality of Jesus Christ. They were experiencing the word of God. And as we're told in scripture, the word of God does not return void. It can be so easy for us to become discouraged. In our proclamation of the gospel. When we don't see the results that we we wished or we hoped that we would have seen. However we have to remember that the outcome, of the proclamation of Jesus Christ is not that every single person who hears will be saved, but rather that God would be glorified. Indeed, we see here in this courtroom scene that he has been. The word did not fail. The word was still effective. The word still exposed the hearts of these men. God in his infinite wisdom and goodness, has determined that to some, the message of the gospel would be a fragrance unto death. It would be an offense. It would serve as further testimony against the sinfulness of men's hearts and further condemnation for men on the day of Christ. But God still gets the glory when men reject him. I like how John Piper puts it. God means for the world to see him as glorious, both in his mercy and in his wrath. It's not as though God is glorious when he shows mercy and inglorious when he shows wrath and judgment, but his wrath and his mercy are glorious. They're perfectly just, perfectly proportioned, and perfectly expressed. This is weighty should make us weep and it should make us praise because apart from the undeserved grace of God, we all would experience the crushing judgment of the gospel message and continue to reject it. We would all be just like these men. If these men, many of whom had seen Christ in person, they saw this miracle, they heard from the apostles themselves and they didn't accept the word of Christ, then should we be surprised when people reject the message from us. It's a miracle that we've even received it. We can't measure the effectiveness of the gospel by responsiveness and numbers of conversions. Yes, we should expect people to be saved. Yes, we might examine our practices if they seem to lack fruit, but ultimately salvation is in the Lord's hands. And no matter what the outcome is, the word must still be proclaimed. However, we also rejoice in the truth that many will be saved, including those who seem to resist at first. I won't be surprised if I meet some of these men in heaven someday. We are told in the word That the number of believers, the numbers of the descendant of Abraham are going to be as many as the sand on the sea and the stars in the sky. We're told that the harvest is plentiful. So to many who hear the gospel will be a fragrance of life. The Lord has ordained that many would come to faith. And we see that here in this passage. While the council resisted, verse 23 tells us of the people's response For all were praising God for what had happened. This is why we get the joy of hearing such incredible testimonies as that of Maggie Fitzpatrick, who shared a few weeks ago. Thank you, Maggie, for that. It's why we get to witness baptisms like Aaron and Megan Casella, Rachel Kuz and Alex Martin, and it's why we're all sitting here today. And it's the power of this message that affects our hearts and motivates men such as Peter to say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. We cannot but speak of what the Lord has done in our lives. This is the gospel at work in Peter's heart, and it's beautiful. It's the response of faith. Peter knew when confronted by this unstoppable, authoritative truth, he had no other option but to proclaim it. And remember, this Peter, he was not a confident man in himself. This should give us a lot of hope. He was not a faithful man when left to himself. He sank into the water He was called Satan at one point by Jesus. He denied Christ three times after his death, yet this Peter now stands boldly proclaiming the gospel and unwilling to relent. What brought this about? The Holy Spirit's power, the grace of God, and the word of God active within him. And all three of those things are ours this morning. So let's pray for the same kind of faith to be bold witnesses to the truth, as I've been preparing this, I've just been very convicted myself. There's so many people in my neighborhood, in my circles, right outside the doors of these church, of this church, that need to hear this message. but it's hard. So we pray that we might make this unstoppable, authoritative gospel known to ourselves to each other, and to the on-looking world which needs it so desperately. I was just sitting and thinking right before this message, we're coming out of such a strange time. Things are opening up. People are being opened up to interacting with one another yet again, and they're coming out of a very traumatic period of time. This is an opportunity for us to love and care for people and to show them the love of Christ. This is our mission, and it will be accomplished. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that we have truth that we can cling to. Thank you, God, that you have saved us. Thank you that you have offered your son, Jesus Christ, that we might be with you again despite our sins. And Lord, we just pray that many would be saved. We pray that you would continue to make your kingdom expand on this earth and use us to do so. Lord, we pray for boldness. Right after this passage, further in chapter 4, what do they do? They pray for boldness. We pray for boldness that we might continue to tell the world of your great love. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.